Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kauli. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kauli, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kauli. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today we are going to talk about due diligence and how important it is to do in commercial transactions. Today I have uh, a favorite veteran guest, uh, Brian Hennessy, who is a powerhouse uh, in this arena. Brian is a 35 years veteran in commercial real estate. He has done uh, due diligence on many, many assets uh, ranging uh, millions of square feet. He has done two billion with a B in sales uh, and leases. He is the author of the number one guide, due diligence handbook for commercial real estate. He has a couple of other books, how to add value uh, handbook for commercial real estate. And one more, the resident uh, residential agents handbook for commercial real estate. He teaches courses. He has his own uh, video course program as well that we will talk about uh, further. Welcome to the show, Brian. I appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to this important conversations we're going to have today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Sukar. It's a great pleasure, and I'm. I'm thank you. The pleasure. The pleasure is ours, and with uh, knowledgeable guests like you, we all get to learn. Uh, this is a topic that that is core to my heart as to you know how we do due diligence, how we value assets, what to look for. So, with that, Brian, I'm very much looking forward to this uh, conversation. Uh, to get started, Brian, give us a uh, brief background about. Um, you know, how you got started and how you sort of came about, uh, uh, you know, realizing that, hey, due diligence can be uh, such a core topic that has become a passion of yours that you teach others as well now. Sure. Uh, well, how I came upon discovering just how important due diligence is, is uh, I had been a commercial broker for 18 years when one of my clients who I had sold property to had started a uh, real estate investment firm. And uh, he asked me to come aboard as his vice president of uh, acquisitions and dispositions, which I thought would just be a natural slide since I had been uh, a commercial broker for 18 years. So when I got over there, the first couple of transactions that we uh, did were uh, large couple of large office properties, mm -hmm. which we were buying from a Canadian investment firm. And what happened was the vice president who I was interfacing with on the uh, sale of those quickly surmised that I was new to being a buyer mm -hmm. of uh, large commercial office buildings. And he uh, decided he was gonna take me to school on it, which he did. And uh, I found it to be an extremely stressful uh, scenario because here I was trying to keep track of all the information that I had to uh, 
uh, cover, meaning the financials and the reports, the leases, all the reviews of all this information, dealing with the mortgage broker and the lender and the real estate attorney and the accountant and the investor and his investors. And it was just, I had all these uh, legal pads on my desk. I was writing, you know, all the questions I was asking and who owed me what information and what else I needed to ask. And as the, the escrow, uh, was nearing the end of the due diligence period, the heat got turned up and it was just, I would go home at night and I just lay awake thinking about what information I hadn't collected yet and who I still needed to ask questions of. And I just couldn't wait for the escrows to close. It was just so stressful. Absolutely. And then a couple of weeks after uh, uh, the escrows had closed, I was coming into the office and one of the gals said, hey, the investor wants to speak with you. So I went into his office and he said, take a seat. And he closed the door behind me. And uh, then after a long silence, he said, I, I just want to know how you missed all this information that, uh, you know, we had gone through with uh, the, the building acquisitions. And I said, I'm, I'm not sure what you're asking here. And then he proceeded to tell me about the different stuff that we didn't come up with. Mm -hmm. And I just said, well, you know, I, I just... I didn't realize, you know, I hadn't bought properties like this before, so I wasn't exactly sure. And he says, well, I think I made a huge mistake hiring you as my vice president of acquisition disposition just because you were a broker for 18 years, <laughs> which quite frankly, I was beginning to believe he was right, you know, and uh, well, I could say, I'm sorry, I didn't realize it. So that night when I went home, you know, I was tossing and turning and saying, you know, how did I miss all that information? What could I have done differently? And I decided right then and there, I was going to when I got into the office, I was going to start my reference manual for doing due diligence and where I would write down all the issues I needed to review, the questions I needed to ask, the checklists I needed to create, and all those things. And what happened was I did that over a period of, um, it ended up being like five, six years, but when I was there, it was about four years, we bought over 8 million square feet of properties and we were just a little group. So we had a lot of uh, properties that we were buying all over the country. I was on a plane a lot. Right? So I had a lot of lessons that I was learning, some from, you know, big institutional sellers and what have you. And uh, what happened was after 12, yeah, well, let's see, how long was I doing that for? It was about um, seven years, I think it was, that I decided that, you know, I was getting back into the brokerage arena. And uh, what happened was I wasn't really sure, I had been out of the brokerage business for a while and uh, I was trying to figure out how to differentiate myself. So I decided to take my reference manual and, and put it on Amazon as a investor handbook for due diligence. Mm -hmm. And um, never think it was ever gonna sell one copy. So I didn't even, I wouldn't even pay the money to have a professional cover done. So, kid in the office made the cover for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I put it up there. And what I found was people started buying it. So I thought after the first few sales, I thought some friends and family bought it. But after about five more sales, I just said, I don't think I have that many friends and family that would buy this book. <laughs> so, so somebody must think it's useful. So I decided to um, start 
uh, adding some stories to it. I've had a professional cover done and eventually just put it back up on Amazon and it took off and it ended up being a number one bestseller and it, it has been a number of times. And it still blows my mind that uh, it's still one of the top selling commercial real estate books. But I, I say that because I think that um, a lot of people just weren't really aware of it and uh, the importance of it. And what I found out is really the crux of real estate investing. And it I is, still believe that. Important. And I still uh, tell people, you know, unless and until you've been in that position and really uh, are taking it seriously, you're really just basically scratching the surface when you're conducting due diligence. You're correct, Brian. And, and what you describe and what you write in the book is uh, is a topic of, you know, like basically the you're pouring in all your experience there. You know, it's not something that you can just gloss over and, you know, like sort of just pick it up. You know, it's, this is something that's learned over the years, looking at different assets, different submarkets. So it's, it's really a compilation of your years of work that you have done, you know. So a lot of, uh, a lot of, I was going to say a lot of mistakes were made a lot of lessons were learned the hard way cost some of them very costly and it had it somebody told me hey brian you're gonna have a book 10 years from now when i was starting out or whatever at that time and uh i would have i would have said I'll, I'll i'll pay you whatever you want for that book <laughs> <laughs> if i saved me all the the headaches and the in the stress and and all, all the humiliation I had to go through to learn all that. Sure, stuff. sure. And this is the real stuff. I mean, you know, like people make mistakes and they learn, but it's important to kind of understand that, hey, this is the guide that's available, you know, to make good use of it, you know. So with that, Brian, you know, help us understand uh, for some novice person who doesn't know what is due diligence or what exactly uh, different forms uh, it takes in, in, into a transaction when you talk about due diligence? Well, what I tell people is it's really when people say, well, what do you, when, when you're talking about due diligence, you kind of know what you're talking about. You have to do your homework, but what do you mean specifically? And I say, you, you really have to become a very good detective. Sure. You need to learn how to investigate a property investment opportunity that you're looking to get into because the seller was not going to hand you a list of problems. They're hoping that you don't find any and that uh, you're just going to close and whatever problems with that come with the property, you're going to own when that happens. Right. So, uh, and then you and I are talking a little prior to jumping on um, the podcast here. Uh, you know, we were talking about, that I tell people, rarely is a property valued the same when you sign the contract than it is at the end of the due diligence period if you've done your your proper uh, due diligence on it. Right. So right. it's really how you find out about the true value. You're literally uh, eliminating most of the risk, if not all of it, hopefully. Uh, and you're also finding wherever those hidden value enhancers are. And sure. to me, that's a big part of the whole thing because quite frankly, I want to know where I'm going to make my money on the property before the end of my due, due diligence. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And, and with that, Brian, let's let's maybe touch upon you know, uh, let's go into the physical due diligence. You know, like what's involved. Like, let's say if you are talking about a multifamily transaction, right? Uh, how would you approach those things? You know, or what things you should be looking for? Okay, well, if it's multifamily specifically, uh, obviously you're going to be going in with you know. Uh, uh, contractor, inspector, who knows their stuff, hopefully, and I would qualify this to say that they are very experienced at multifamily properties. If you're looking at, you know, uh, uh, you know, a C property, mm -hmm. uh, then you best know, you know, uh, and your inspector should know that the type of wiring and what have you that's in there sure. mm -hmm. is going to have an impact on, you know, whether or not the property can get insured we can say well they they obviously haven't insured now so you can get insured not necessarily mm -hmm. you know things have ch things are constantly changing you know Absolutely. so mm -hmm. so you really need to know what you're looking at and uh equally important is you really need to know the metrics uh that you're you're looking at as well mm -hmm. and that would be you know is there good population growth good rent growth in the area, uh, what's the job growth, which like we were talking about earlier, sure. you know, mm -hmm. this, this uh, pandemic has created a whole other uh, uh, scope Security of yep. investigation that you need to do. Right. If anything, you need to be even more diligent about doing your due diligence because no, absolutely mm -hmm. you don't know what you're getting into everything's morphing into different things you could be end up repurposing the property uh there's just a myriad of things that we're going to be finding out as time goes on right. you know where all this is going to play out i think for multifamily, it will end up uh still being you know a top uh investment genre but that doesn't mean to say it's not going to have potential issues and problems and pitfalls that you need to be aware of because just because it's multifamily doesn't mean you're going to be making a bunch of money on it. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. And, and as you touched upon, Brian, there is the uh, sort of the sub-market analysis as to, you know, like what's your population growth, you know, where the jobs are coming from and things like that. So uh, are you maybe suggesting, Brian, that due diligence uh, for investors comprises of starting from that point zero that hey you're understanding what the market is doing and uh, how you're sort of you know for lack of a better term all the investors are buying these uh, viable businesses you know like whether it's multifamily or self-storage or commercial uh, other assets for that matter they are really buying the businesses right so for them to understand the viability and the sort of the projection uh, of uh, this uh, uh, the performance of these things you know so are you suggesting Brian, that uh, investors should start looking from point zero regarding the submarket and what the forecast uh, is going to uh, be. Absolutely, there's there, there's no reason to even start getting serious about it until you've done your homework with that. I see. And then once you're convinced that okay, I like the area, I like the metrics, it all seems very uh, positive to me. Now, is this particular uh, investment opportunity that I'm looking to invest in, how does that fit into 
the market and the mm -hmm. submarket and its competitive set and how does it stack up against that and then if you if the numbers and everything start lining up and you're feeling comfortable about the way it's feeling uh, and looking to you then then you could say you know let me make an offer on this mm -hmm. and uh, that's really the beginning of the other part of the due diligence uh, component which is the physical mechanical and the leases and the financials and all that stuff that comes with it right right and right. you can start you know drilling down and really you know getting into the nitty-gritty of it because uh, you're already sold on the marketplace sure mm -hmm. comfortable with it now you just got to make yourself comfortable with the asset you're looking for very true very true and speaking of physical due diligence then brian that what sort of systems and people and uh, other components that you uh, you know uh, kind of uh, tell people that what they should be looking for in a physical due diligence space well the first thing i tell them uh, you know is make sure you're hiring um a very you know qualified inspector uh contractor that and if you and if you uh have not used them before or if you're in a market that you're not totally familiar with yet make sure you do your due diligence on them ask them for some sample reports ask them for uh you know some references that you can call and once you're comfortable with that then you can move forward and i've had people say well i have a contracting background so i really don't need to use anybody let me tell you something there's another reason why you want to use a, 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 another third party is because when you get the narrative on it, the report, and you got to go back to the seller and you have to justify a justifiable discount on the property, you want to be able to send them that report and say, here's the report I got and here's why um, I need the discount I'm looking for. Take a look through and it's not my you know, humble opinion about it. I hired somebody and paid right. good money to make sure that I had somebody that knew what they were looking at to give me the advice. So it's much easier for the seller to swallow than it is if you are popping up and saying, hey, you know, I, I went and we did the due diligence and I'm going to need a $150,000 discount on this thing because it's just too much work. Right, right, right. No, that doesn't, that, that, that's free. That's not going to look professional. <laughs> professional right 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 and also brian one of the inherent and important factor is the building age you know the age just uh, kind of uh, dovetails into okay what systems are there heating cooling systems or the wiring or the plumbing and things like that and personally since i have the, uh, you know all our portfolio is a lot more vintage and we've done a lot of renovations you know we understand okay what a cast iron drain pipe is versus a cpvc pipe or perhaps the new electric versus a knob and tube or the new square d breakers versus a federal pacific stab lock breakers and things like that so those are all important uh, you know aspects in my opinion so in a commercial world uh, speaking of uh, brian like how do you how have been your experience regarding the age of the buildings for like let's say the bigger industrial properties or office properties for that matter well, again, uh, it depends on what your uh, investment criteria is. If you're going to be delving into older properties that uh, come with uh, 
some inherent risk with those things, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. For instance, let's say you were buying an office property mm -hmm. and it was 35 years old or over 30 years old, whatever, and you're, you're looking at, you know, uh, HVAC units or um, could be elevators, Mm -hmm. Could be a number of things in there. Sure. You know, mm -hmm. Here in California, where I'm located, you know, they have a lot of uh, energy uh, requirements, upgrades that need to be uh, handled when you when you're dealing with that. So uh, you you have to be well aware of what mm -hmm. you're stepping into because where I see people uh, get into trouble is they're looking at the price per square foot they're buying it at not right. really doing the proper uh, financial analysis and homework that they need to do to find out exactly what it's going to cost them to retrofit. Sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, I give tips in the book and in my course, walk people through that because uh, that's where I see a lot of people can get tripped up and uh, you don't want that to happen. You should be, when it comes to your financial analysis, that's something you're doing during the whole Time you're doing your due diligence you're right. constantly tweaking it and adjusting it and and uh, uh, as you find new uh, things that are coming up that are going to affect the cost and the expense that involved you need to plug that in because the last thing you want to do is end up owning it and then having to go to the investors or worse yet even the lender and say <laughs> you know I didn't we underestimated something. <laughs> yeah, I underestimated. I, I didn't know we were going to be needing to come up with this extra money to do this. Right. In which case, they're going to be not too happy with you and probably be changing a bunch of the terms in the loan agreement before they give you any money to fix anything. That is if they're willing to even do that for you. Right, right, right. So, uh, Brian, speaking of that, what are some of the mistakes you have seen, uh, you know, various uh, folks over the years make uh, during this phase of due diligence, like something not done right can cost you this one? Give us some examples about it, you know. Uh, that's a good question. Um, there's a lot of things that can happen. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of the things have been like, they didn't go down to the city mm -hmm. and ask the, you know, person at the desk at the building department or whatever the case may be, you know, mm -hmm. the, the municipal, municipal uh, uh, department there to say, hey, is there any upcoming uh, compliance codes that are coming up that I, I need for this property I'm looking to buy? Uh, are there any issues, any violations I need to be aware of? Mm -hmm. These are things that, you know, is there any, you know, street widening or highway widening that's going to happen out in front of the property I need to be aware of. Those are the kind of things you want to be aware of because let's mm -hmm. say you're buying a retail center or something and all of a sudden, yeah, we're going to be widening that highway in the next 18 months. Sure. <laughs> uh, and your ingress, egress is going to be very difficult. Oh, great. That's going <laughs> to be tenants, probably going to be losing some. Sure. You know? <laughs> so these are things or yeah, there's a, a, a sprinkler, uh, fire sprinkler ret retrofit that's going to have to be done there in the next, you know, 24 months or whatever. Like. Oh boy. Mm -hmm. right. All of a sudden it's like, whoa. Yep. <laughs> big number here. We better start, uh, you know, factoring that in. Right? Sure. Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of things I see people just kind of 
skip over and not really pay attention to. And then they, well, well, they, they own the property. It's like, Oh no, they never told me about that. Right. 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 No, that's true. And uh, speaking of financial diligence, right. In the fi- you're typically reviewing the leases and things like that when you're buying the bigger uh, assets. Like, give us some idea regarding you know what things to look for. Uh, you know, from a leasing like a financial audit of uh, sort. Sure. Uh, things you you want to be aware of. Uh, you know, if you're buying, let's say, a multi-tenant uh, retail office industrial, it doesn't really matter, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you want to be going through the leases and looking for anything that's going to affect the value of the property once you own it, right? Mm-hmm. I'll give you some some obvious type of uh, examples like government buildings, like U.S. post offices and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. They're notoriously known for having these fixed rent increases throughout the term of the lease and they can be 25 30 year leases so mm-hmm. I, i've looked at people's leases for these things and actually helped them negotiate some of them that you know they were paying at the time which seemed like a decent rent you know a, you know a 60 cents a foot you know mm-hmm. and 15 years later they're paying a dollar 25 or something you know sure. and mm-hmm. markets now at two fifty three dollars and they still got three more five-year options with this stuff you know right so those are the types of things any kind of fixed option rents any kind of termination options that they have mm-hmm. let's say you're looking at a, a tenant and they you know they have five thousand feet but they can terminate the lease and and it's a five-year lease or seven-year lease whatever the case may be but they can terminate the lease in three years guess what the lender's only going to give you credit for three years on it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, could be contraction options in there. They can reduce their space from 5,000 down to Mm 3,000 after 24 months by giving notice. Well, you want to know that, right? Sure, absolutely. You want to find out, Jesus, you know, that's that's going to impact the value of this property here. Refurbishment allowances, free rent, uh, anything that is going to cost you as the uh, owner of the property Mm-hmm. What I negotiate is uh, anything prior to the end of the due diligence that I'm buying in, I get a credit for if the tenant is going to, if it's going to cost. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I see. And, and uh, Brian, speaking of like, let's say the legal uh, uh, side of these things, you know, like for example, how a organization structure is or the title issues and things like that, right? What would you advise we look at it on the legal side of uh, the assets, uh, basically? You need to have a uh, very, very strong, qualified real estate attorney on your side. Mm-hmm. I always say that you know, a good real estate attorney is worth their weight in gold, okay? If they're really on top of it and they really know their stuff. Uh, I always say, it's you know, make sure you have a deal-making attorney as opposed to a deal-breaking attorney. Mm-hmm. And when people say, what do you mean by that? I say, well, a deal-breaking attorney will always have a problem for every solution, right? They don't come up with creative, you know, uh, approaches to hate. We, we can't live with that, but here's one way we can do it that might work out for all the parties involved, you know? And then I say, you're also better off sometimes using a senior partner that costs more money mm-hmm. than having one of the junior partners work on it while he's learning on your dime, right? Even though he costs, 
right, so right. $200 an hour versus $450 or $500, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, uh, and then I'd ask them, you know, hey, who's going to be working on this? Are you going to be do doing most of the work if you're the senior partner? Okay. How much is the junior partner going to be working mm -hmm. with it? I want to know. And then also, I try to cap the legal fees on, you know, say, look, you know, we're buying this building. Uh, it's, I don't want to give you a blank check here. Why don't we just cap it at X and see if you can come up with a number, right? right, right. Most law firms are willing to do that. If you're going to use a, a big name law firm, it's harder for them to do. Mm -hmm. They don't want to do that. In which case, I'm saying you're, you're really kind of squandering your money if you have to use a big name law firm for it. You know what I mean? Unless you're just a big name institutional buyer and, and your investors are paying for it and that's what you want to do, you know. Right, right, right. And one of my favorite things, Brian, is to look for value add opportunity. You know, like looking at the trailing 12 or T3 statements and finding out some anomalies to see that, hey, perhaps they may be paying a whole lot more for contract services or perhaps the payroll or can I maybe... Uh, somehow build back the utilities to tenants and things like that. Would you maybe share some examples or some guidelines around, uh, you know, how someone should analyze a T12 and how to spot some inaccuracies within that? Yeah, it's, you know, what you want to see is you're looking for trends. And uh, I, I say ask for three years operating expenses if you can get them and minimum two. And uh, depending upon what type of property it is, if the, if the landlord's covering the expenses, like a lot of the office leases are in multi-tenant office buildings, then uh, they want to see a trend if there's, let's say, utilities are bumping up. Right. Or, um, you know, those, those are the types of things you want to analyze expenses. I, I'll, I'll give you a story that happened to me, actually. I was buying a building and um, I went there uh, one evening and saw uh, a security guards standing in the lobby of one of the buildings. <laughs> and I said, what are, you, what are you doing here? And he says, uh, oh, I'm, I, I come in on uh, at six and leave at 10. And I said, but who are you? Uh, working for here and they go oh it's this whatever the tenant was a, had a training uh, program going on three mm -hmm. days three days out of the week or something like that and I said okay uh, thanks very much and I said what, what are you looking for though what's the problem and he goes ah they they had some issues with somebody uh, you know they're they're when they have breaks people will come out go outside and take a break and have a smoke or something they come back in and somebody left the door open one time so somebody broke came in and hid and then broke into the suites so i said okay thanks for sharing you know so the next day i called up the tenant and i looked at their lease and i saw there's nothing in there that required the landlord to have a lease in there i mean mm -hmm. a security uh, uh guard right. so i said you know we're not required to have a security guard here therefore you you'll be picking up the expense on this which they did you know and it ended up being like Something like forty grand a year, or something like that. Oh my god! Yeah, it's a big number. Right. So uh, these kinds of things can uh, come up. Uh, you might find that uh, a certain tenant in there has got a lot of uh, uh, air conditioning use because now they're running twenty four seven skeleton crew at night. Uh, you know, and they have to run the air conditioning all the time. Sure. 
the landlord's paying for it, let me tell you, that can be a big number. So you want to scrutinize the leases, make sure that, you know, it states in there, they only allowed a certain amount per square foot, a lot mm -hmm. of them will say. And then you could say, hey, we're going to put a submeter in and we're going to start submetering and you're paying the differential on the thing. Right, so right. you can recapture this. But the crazy thing is what I tell people, you'd be surprised these little uh, savings that you're picking up, some of them not so little, go right to your bottom line. Because if you're saving absolutely $50,000 a year, go ahead and six cap that one. Oh yeah, absolutely. That, uh, you, 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 you. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So you're really on it. You're, uh, you know, you can create a lot of value very quickly. As you know, in multifamily, you know, if you can go in there and you're just bumping the rents, sure, you know, thirty-five, $45 a month, because you went in there and you cleaned things up, fixed them up and, and you're, you have the ability to do that. You can raise the value on that very, very quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about, you know, I guess, optimizing the NOI, as you say, like whether you raise the rents or reduce the expenses or maybe perhaps add well, some amenities. Both. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds good. great. And uh, speaking of financial due diligence, uh, you know, uh, Brian, uh, I know lender plays such a crucial role into uh, these things, right? Do you advise investors to always have a relationship with a good lender that you can always kind of back on and uh, start that relationship? How, how would you advise that the lender plays the role into this arena? Uh, uh, I'm a big believer in having relationships, not only with lenders, but with also with mortgage brokers. If you have a couple of really strong mortgage brokers that you work with, mm -hmm. Uh, they're one of your greatest allies that you can have because they know how to work the, the lenders. You know, the lenders, uh, don't forget, you know, their, their main objective is to get as much as they can for themselves. Right? Sure. <laughs> the mortgage broker, you know, they're, they're only going to get paid and, uh, you know, when everybody's happy. So sure. mm -hmm. if, if they're truly a, a, a strong ally of yours and they're going to go to bat, and they're going to work those lenders against each other, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some of them are very adept at doing that. So uh, I highly recommend that as you're growing your your real estate investing business, that you develop strong relationships with two or three of them. You know, and I I tell them if you're going to use two of them while you're, you know, going out for a loan, make sure you find out what lenders each one is going after, so they don't step on each other's toes and you uh, you know de-incentivize them from working hard for you. Right, right, right. Now in the book, Brian, you mentioned about uh, tenant, uh, tenant interviews, right? And it seems that that is a crucial piece that uh, I haven't heard anybody talk about saying that, hey, during your due diligence phase, uh, you know, request the seller that, hey, we are going to interview some of the tenants. That was a, a bit of a surprise to me, you know. Could you maybe share some stories or the importance of, uh, you know, how you came about, uh, you know, recommending uh, doing the tenant interviews on the existing uh, uh, leases, you know? Sure. Um, I will tell you that it's the single most important source of information that you're gonna use when you're buying a, uh, least commercial investment. <laughs> and the reason I say that is many, many times the tenants will uh, have 
been in the building longer than the owners have owned it. Sure. In fact, mm -hmm. I've had sellers of buildings uh, tell me, how did you know that? I, you know, I've had this building for 14 years. I never knew that. Mm -hmm. It's because you probably never asked those questions of your tenant before like I did. But uh, what I tell people is um, uh, do not pass up the opportunity to interview the tenants. If you're going to get pushback generally, mm -hmm. they'll say, no, I don't want people talking to my tenants. I don't want anybody talking to my tenants until I know I've got a deal. And it's like, well, wait a second. You know, what are you trying to hide here? Well, nothing. Well, then there shouldn't be a problem with me talking right. to the tenant, right? Right, if right. They continue to tell you that, they're hiding something. It's right, the there's something wrong, right. Okay, something's wrong. They don't want you to find out. And I right. can't tell you how many people have told me over the years, no, I tried to interview the tenant and he said no. And then, then I found out six months later, this big tenant there went bankrupt. Yeah, guess what? They didn't want you to know that they were going to go bankrupt. Right, right, right. Interesting. Start interesting. looking around, you go into a big space and you find there's, you know, four people in 10,000 square feet, red flags should be popping up. Sure. You know, saying, hey, what's going on here? How come you guys you get financially? You know? <laughs> right. I found, I've actually passed on deals because of what I heard in the, the tenant interviews. Sure, sure. G you know, give us, if you don't mind, Brian, give us some uh, give us some examples or, or some things that you have seen in your career because it sounds like it's uh, from the tenant interview. It's such a crucial piece, and tenants or people in general love to talk and share. Uh, you know, could you maybe give us some samples around it? Sure, absolutely. Um, one of the, like, for instance, um, if you're going in and you're talking to them and you'll say, are there any security issues mm -hmm. in, in the building or in the area here that you can tell us about? Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the main problems that you've uh, seen happen in, with the building here? What would you ch make different here? Mm -hmm. You've had the ability to change some things in the building. What do you think the biggest challenges are here? Why mm -hmm. did you pick this building over the other building? Those are the kinds of things you're asking them, right? Sure. And uh, sometimes they'll tell you things like, oh, there's, you know, a bunch of security issues here that we've had over the years and constant break ins in the garage. And, you know, the windows have been leaking terrible for years. They haven't mm -hmm. replaced the seals on them. And uh, we have constant issues with the elevators or whatever. You know, if you're on the top floor, you're looking for evidence of roof leaks and you're asking the tenants, you ever have any? Roof leaks up here? Yeah. Every mm -hmm. rainy season we have roof leaks up here. So, you know, you're paying more attention to what's going on with the, <laughs> the, the roof. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff, you know, sure. I just, mm -hmm. you, you have any pending litigation going on with the landlord currently? Oh boy. <laughs> Usually not, but every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a dispute over some overages that they charged us when they were building out and we're not paying it. So they're litigating it and okay. Thanks for sharing that. Then I just go and I talk to the seller and go, you've got a dispute with this tenant. It's got to be cleared up before we close or we're sure. going to make money. Right, right, right. Interesting, interesting. So, no. so the other thing I was going to tell you is really pretty critical is interview the vendors of the property. Mm -hmm. I found mm -hmm. out tons of information about the uh, physical condition of the property by interviewing vendors. That, that is important, right. And they'll tell you a, a ton of stuff. You tell them, hey, we're looking to buy this building and uh, 
was wondering if you could shed any light on the roof, the HVAC units, the elevator, the whatever it is you're mm -hmm. calling about. And if they know they got a potential customer that they could, you know, uh, acquire, then they're going to be singing like canaries about, uh, you know, the issues that have been there. And I've learned a ton of information from them. Interesting, interesting. And, and Brian, now we are going through the pandemic right now. You know, the impact of this pandemic is still happening. A lot of businesses and a lot of retail centers, small businesses are shut down. You know, as things start to reopen slowly, I, I feel that, you know, it's not something you can suddenly turn off the lights, shut down the furnace and AC systems, you know. Typically, all these buildings and businesses are a living, breathing entity, meaning, you know, the, the lights, the air conditioning, the air circulation has to happen. And it feels that we are sort of coming to another uh, sort of a topic that's not has gotten much attention, which is, you know, the more the milieu problems behind these buildings and the insurance and the litigation that may follow. Could you maybe perhaps share some thoughts uh, on, you know, how the due diligence is going to be a lot more important moving forward, uh, given the uh, all the COVID crisis that's going on? Absolutely. Um... Some of those issues will be like you pointed out, the physical issues of the property. I mean, if you want to see a, a piece of property fall apart real fast, just leave it vacant. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. You just fall apart really, really quick. Accelerates the whole deterioration process. Sure. Plumbing, electrical, the whole nine yards. Um, but uh, I think even more critical is when you're out there looking at properties, multifamily is multifamily, you know, that's, that's, you're not going to most likely change that, but other prop properties out there, for instance, maybe an office property, could be an industrial property, could be a retail property. These properties uh, are going to go through a metamorphosis in some areas will most likely be repurposed. Uh, to be more specific, um, let's say you're in a downtown area and office uh, becomes uh, less utilized in those areas because people just don't feel they need to occupy an office space for a number of reasons. They got used to working out of their home or don't feel like they need to be there that often or it could be a myriad of reasons, you know, but sure. um, the health issue they may be concerned about doesn't matter really what it is, except that if they start going vacant, guess what? They're not going to be making much economic sense. Mm -hmm. So what do you do with that structure? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. They're already, they've been addressing that in some of the submarkets in the major, in the major metropolitan areas. Sure. Mm -hmm. That just, you know, pick a city like Chicago, uh, New York, um, Dallas. Sure, the main metro cities. LA, right. mm -hmm. You know, and and they're they're actually uh, repurposing them as residential. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, the retail—that's another thing. Retail's been on its heels for a while, so this this uh, pandemic really just kind of shoved it over. It was right. the final shove that, you know, was going to push it into the abyss. Right. So when you're looking at um, 
repurposing uh, like retail centers or even malls. I was reading an article about that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What do you do with those big structures, right? Right. right. So you're talking about repurposing these for more um, uh, service type uses. For instance, since you're already parked at a higher parking ratio on a retail center, let's say five per thousand square feet, mm -hmm. It actually makes sense for medical uses to be in there, right? Whether that be mm -hmm. dental, uh, medical, uh, you're already seeing it anyway, but what's going to happen is it becomes more prevalent. And right. mm -hmm. um, so those are going to be changing up. Uh, industrial, they've been already uh, repurposing for a while now to like creative office and other types of uses that haven't be, been typically used as industrial. So when you're looking at these properties, you really need to get outside the box, right? And sure. that's, oh, I'm buying a retail building. Okay, it may be retail, but may end up being a, a medical uh, uh, service uh, center, right? Interesting. Now I know it has a, all, all this has a clear financial impact and on a related topic, uh, Brian, I, I love to get your thoughts around, uh, you know, so many businesses have shut down or, you know, let's say a lot of residents are experiencing job loss or hours being cut and things like that. In turn, that has been reflected on the balance sheets, right? So when we see the income statements uh, of these properties, it sounds like in the next, let's say 12 to 24 months, I think everybody is going to hone in upon, hey, let's find out what this asset did in like, let's say Q1, Q2, when the entire pandemic was still, uh, you know, sort of ongoing, you know, could you share some thoughts on how we could perhaps do some due diligence around sort of the income gyrations that we are going to sort of see across the board as a result of this pandemic as well? Yes. Um, I'll tell you, there's a lot of unknown factors out there. I, I won't even try to pretend that you know, I have the answers to all these questions because I don't, but I just, since I've been doing it so long, I've seen sure. um, different things happen over the years and uh, nothing even compares to the scope or magnitude of what we're going through right now. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, I truly believe that, um, you know, the government's going to have to step in even to a much greater degree uh, in order to uh, keep some of these property owners uh, afloat because the lenders typically uh, don't care. They right. just, hey, we don't care if your tenants are paying, you know, if you're not gonna pay up, we're not gonna give you the forbearance, or they may for a short period of time, but after that it's, they don't wanna hear it anymore. They want their security. Sure. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. so uh, to think that they're gonna, you know, be empathetic towards your your issue they're not I can promise you that so <laughs> having been there before I can tell you so um, what I would say about that is, is, is if the government can't step in and say look we'll guarantee their loan uh, for X amount based on whatever the financials are or the, or, or the appraised value or whatever it is 
uh, we're going to see a bunch of properties going back to uh, the lenders regardless. Okay. Interesting. So um, will there be deals out there to be had? I'm sure there will be. You need to be careful about what you're buying because just because it's a deal. Yes, very much so because you don't know what you're going to be ending up with at the end of the day, unless you've really, really done your homework and feel quite comfortable. Even before all this, it was becoming much more micro submarket oriented. And what I mean by that is just because you were buying and let's say a, a market like Los Angeles, which is a huge market, doesn't mean you're going to be making a bunch of money because you sure. bought it cheap per square foot price. No. I can show you buildings that have been sitting vacant for decades here. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you really, really, really have to be comfortable as to what's going on. And we hit on some of those early on in the conversation regarding sure. mm -hmm. job growth, rent growth, you know, population growth, all those things. You really, right. you know, you need to see a trend in a positive, very positive direction. I'm, I'm a big believer Sikar, in, uh, you know, only swing at the fat ones. Don't, mm -hmm. be, don't be going in and saying, hey, this could work out really well. I think if I did all these things, I have a really good chance. No, I don't want to invest like, I've been doing this for too long. Sure, okay? sure, sure. I don't have that many years to be hoping right, right. to correct at some point. I want to make sure going in that I know exactly where I'm going to be making my money on this thing. Okay? Awesome, awesome. And if I don't know that, then I'm not investing in it. Okay. Right, right. It's really that simple. So super important. You learn the due diligence stuff and then um, be super patient because patience is its own reward. And then uh, the other thing I would say about that is um, you may have to look at a hundred or more deals before you find the one that gets your heart racing going, this is exactly what I'm looking for, right? That's awesome. My That's homework, awesome. I know my criteria, I know all the boxes I need to check off. This hits either all of them or 90, sure. right. mm -hmm. 5% or whatever it is. Right, right, right. I like this deal. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Those are all wise words and uh, those are all important advice. Uh, share with our listeners, Brian, how they can find you. And you were also telling me initially in the green room that you teach folks uh, using your video course as well. Tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Now, uh, I would say in terms of the book, the due diligence handbook for commercial real estate, uh, that is a reference book. That is not a book you you buy and you read it and say, okay, I got some good information on that. I'm going to put it back on my bookshelf and never pick it up again. I still use it every time as my reference manual. Every time That's I awesome. do it, mm -hmm. every time I do a transaction, I'm acquiring a piece of property. I will use it. Why? Because it's like a pilot with a, his checklist. Okay. Mm -hmm. He may have 20,000 hours of flight time, but he still uses a checklist to go over his airplane. Sure. Mm -hmm. Every time. Right. Right. Why? Absolutely. Because you need, we need reminding as much as we need learning. We can't remember all every little detail, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. So uh, you'll be looking at it again and again. Um, the other, the, the how to add value handbook for commercial real estate is one that I wrote because uh, I saw people, investors making um, similar 
mistakes over and over and over again. Some of them fairly, you know, obvious to me because I've been in the business for so long, but sure. I figured, you know what, this is helpful for somebody that is just getting into commercial real estate and wants to uh, learn the fundamentals and from uh, somebody that's been in the trenches for a long time and it's good examples in there of leases and investment stuff. And there's, there's just a bunch of stuff in there that'll uh, really help you to uh, create value with commercial real estate. And then the other one that you had mentioned was the residential agents for handbook for commercial real estate. And I wrote that because I've seen so many residential agents involved with commercial deals and a lot of them are winging it out there, which is dangerous for not only themselves, but especially for their clients. Sure. So mm -hmm. If you're going to do this, once you learn the fundamentals and then you can build it from there right. and who knows, you may decide that that's what you want to do full time. Right. Right. Absolutely. But it's also a good way to, to actually uh, earn additional stream of income in your business. So absolutely. And, and share, share, share about the video course, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the course, uh, I, what, when I, the book was out there and I was doing seminars and webinars, which I, by the way, I still do. Uh, people would always say, Are, do you have some kind of video course or certification program or something? That, and I said, you know, I don't, but I'm going to do one someday. And I finally decided I'd do it. So I put one together and um, it walks people through 16 modules. Uh, it also has, it has uh, sample forms on there. It has action item lists, glossary terms uh pdf of uh all sorts of stuff in there that helps people to if they're not familiar with it uh then it's a great place to get a foundation if they're already in it it's a great enhancement to what they know and um it's on my uh website which is you could get right to the courses at courses dot impact coaching systems dot com that's courses dot impact coaching systems with an s dot com mm -hmm. and uh an impact coaching systems is the website interesting and then interesting. and then for your listeners i'd like to offer a 20 percent discount uh on the course and all they need to do is put the code in ddhb that's dd due diligence hb for handbook the number 20 and they'll get a automatically get a 20% discount off the course price. But I, I highly recommend people learn this stuff. It'll pay for itself exponentially. I tell Put people, if, not, if you're not getting at least 10 times what you're paying, which I know it's much, much more, but if absolutely. I, if I yep. use a number like a hundred times, people start looking at you like you're. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, no, it's, it's, it's well worth learning. You will you will be a much more confident uh, and informed uh, and intelligent investor once you learn this stuff and get going on it because uh, you've taken all the stress out of it. I tell people having and adhering to a proven system when you're doing due diligence allows you to do it faster, easier, more efficiently, and you're less likely to miss something. 
Absolutely, and 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 I think that checklist is what you kind of walks through, and the and the pilot analogy I really liked what you shared, Brian, is that you're still going through step by step, step by step. It doesn't matter how many hours you have flown. This is the guide. This is the checklist you go off of. You know, so thank you, thank you, Brian. Uh, it's yeah, it's, it's a it's a pleasure to you know always interact with you, learn from you, uh, your expert advice. Uh, I look forward to uh, you know many more such uh, sessions with you, and uh, you know thank you for your time today. Yeah, Sukar, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Thanks very thank much. You. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.